Turn with me once again to Psalm 119, verse 129. Let me read the passage one more time. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Let me pray one more time. Father, we come now to your word. Give me grace and strength and wisdom and understanding of your word. And give us as those who would be desiring to learn from your word. Yeah, that same grace, Lord, that we might be able to grow in it. Speak now, we pray. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sit... The, my message will be centered around, around Psalm, uh, 132. Verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. I want to unpack that a little bit. And there are other verses in this text that will correspond to that. I want to begin by this with this statement. A soul that loves God. You see that in verse 129. Well, I'll unpack that in a little bit. Is in awe of God's grace. Verse 132 which will drive him to the word, verse 130, allowing his steps to be steady, verse 133, which opens his eyes to those walking in darkness, verse 136. If I was to ask you this morning to write down a definition of legalism, we would probably each write down some slight different, slightly different definition for that word. And that's a hot topic word in the culture of Christianity today. You're wearing a tan suit coat, you legalistic person. You're reading your Bible too much. You must be legalistic. Oh, you decide you don't want to watch the movies. You're legalistic. There, there are many definitions of legalism. And so when you go into a conversation and somebody starts speaking of legalism, the first thing you have to begin doing is defining the terms. What do you mean when you say legalism? I think the scriptural definition, and there is no word in the scripture, it's legalism, but this would be, I think, follow the scriptural principles, which is legalism is the conviction that law keeping, the conviction that law keeping, keeping the law is, after the fall, the ground of our acceptance with God. John Piper gives that definition. It's the conviction that law keeping, after the fall, is the ground of our acceptance with God. Meaning, how can I get God to be for me? Well, I'll keep his law. Well, that is legalism. But in the desire to not be legalistic, we have come up with a lot of other definitions. People have given us other definitions And the pendulum has swung. We don't want to be legalistic, so we're going to swing 
And the pendulum always swings hard the other way. It never swings back to the middle and pauses and everybody kind of recalibrates. It swings hard the other way. And we've swung hard to what we now have that's prevailing in the Church of America today, which is hyper-grace. This line of thinking that all you need is grace. All you have is grace. Grace is amazing. Grace is wonderful. And I've not said anything that's not true. Grace is amazing. Grace is wonderful. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. One of the five solas, sola gratia, by grace alone. So grace is, is certainly nothing to tip your hat at, nothing to just spit at. It's, it's an amazing thing. But we've swung so far that we've swung away from the middle, which is what I hope to drive to you today, which is if you're a believer in Christ, saved by grace, the law of God should be precious to you. Not for your salvation, but post-salvation. And I want to explain that. But we've sw- we've swung hard. So if I was to tell you, if I was to preach in, a, in, in, in many churches in America today and tell you, you read your Bible. I'm legalistic. Pursue holiness. Legalism. Obey the commands of Christ. Legalism. Is that legalistic? No, it's not. Because it has nothing to do with my acceptance for God. It is legalism if I'm doing those things out of this is how I gain acceptance. But I gain acceptance before God by no means of my own. It was by the love of Jesus Christ. Spilt for me. His blood spilt for me upon the cross that I might have life. That's how I gained acceptance. Keeping the law is in no way how I'm going to gain acceptance. But as a believer, I'm going to run to that. Not to keep it as for an acceptance, but in that I might see more of his grace, that I might understand. That's why we call it the means of grace, right? That's why we tell you to read your Bible and pray and communicate with the believers and take communion and all of these things because they're means of grace, of more grace. I want grace, and so I... I conform to the image of his son. How do I do that? I go to scripture and I learn the way I'm to conform, which is his law. We hate that word. In life dynamics, if I write on the board, how do you like the law? I immediately get this repulsive nature with, from these young people who hate the law. And then I write God's law and they don't hate it any less because it restricts them from what they desire to do outside of God's way. Now, I'm going to center all of that around 132, but we've we've got to begin, obviously, in 129. I'm not going to say much about that other than I want to note very carefully, very clearly here, that this second stanza, the second phrase in 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Your soul, the very core of your being finds God's word wonderful. You can tell me any day of the week, God's word is wonderful. And you can take your hands and flip it open. Your heart and hands can work that out. But does your soul find God's word wonderful? 
Jeremiah Burroughs says this, There is a vanity in all things of the world, but in that which the word reveals, in that there is an eternity. We should therefore admire at nothing so as at the word, and we should greatly delight in God's commandments. An ordinary degree of admiration or delight is not sufficient. But great admiration and great delight there should be in the law of God. And all arguments drawn from God's law should powerfully prevail with you. Martin Luther wrote a book on how to pray. And one of the, reason, one of the means by which how to pray is he suggests to memorize the Ten Commandments. Because that allows us to have a barometer by which we measure our own hearts against God's standard. And we can pray through those. How am I doing with my words? Commandment number three. How am I doing with honoring my parents? Commandment number five. How am I doing in not setting before me idolatry? Commandment number one. Commandment number two. How am I doing in honoring the Lord's day? Commandment number four. Where we can pray with these things as a standard. Jeremiah Burroughs, and all arguments drawn from God's law should powerfully prevail with you. The religion that we are about, the relationship we are about is one of the soul, is not just the heart and the mind. At the core of our being, we must desire and long for a closer relationship to God. And we will develop that in his word. Therefore, my soul keeps him. So if your soul has not been given over to God, has not been given to Christ as Lord, then you've got to stop right there and address that issue. How is your soul this morning? Is it well with the Lord? Or is it wondering? And let's not kid ourselves. We're as prone to wondering as anyone else. We're as prone to wondering as anyone else. My heart may not be prone to some of the more extreme Wondering, but any wondering at all is wondering and is leaving the Lord's best. So how is your soul this morning? Are you are you lining your soul up against going? I'm not committing adultery. I'm not lying. I am honoring my parents. I'm reading the word some speaking to myself here. I'm doing some of these things. But but am I stopping there or am I conforming my soul to the image of God? Verse 130, if your soul loves God, let's skip to 132, we'll come back to 130. If your soul love God, loves God, you are going to be in awe of His grace. This, if this is not a promise, we could spend all morning on this. 132, turn to me, be gracious to me, and, and listen to this, as is your way with those who love your name. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I can guarantee you, according to this promise, God is dealing with you in a gracious way. And he can deal with you in a much more tough way. If you're under his discipline, you're, you're under his gracious way. Because this is his way with those who love his name. As is your way with those who love your name. Next week in First Light, Christopher is going to preach on Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. So I'm not going to steal 
what he could say there. But I, I want you to go to Exodus. I want you to go to your Bible right now to Exodus 3.15. And I, I want to focus a little bit on those who love your name. Because when we, when we think about God's name, we think of the great shepherd. We think of Savior. We think of Jesus Christ. We think of a lot of different names. But a soul that loves God, maybe his greatest, maybe the name he finds the greatest delight in will be one in Exodus 3.15. Here we have the burning bush. Moses is asking God, who should I tell that has sent me? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of, the Lord, of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this, the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Do you find the name, the Lord, precious to you? It isn't a word we like. <clears throat> it isn't a word we like because there, therein requires submission to someone over us. We love him as our savior, but do you love him as your Lord? That's what Psalm 119 is, is referring to, is it not? As is your way with those who love, as his way, as his way, as his, is his way with those who love his name. So, I have got to ask, and we'll flesh this out of, of a barometer of that, a measure of that, of how well you're doing in that later on in a few minutes. But my question to you and question to me is, is do I love him as my Lord? Because if, he, if his testimonies are wonderful, if my soul loves God, I'm in awe of his grace, then I'm going to love his word and his law. To conform to that. Turn to me and be gracious to me. But God's grace is not, is not in there. God's grace requires action on your part. Let's go to Titus 2. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's normally where we stop in God's grace. But it continues. God's grace trains us, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For what purpose? To train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. God's grace, the way he deals with us in grace, is for the purpose of us responding to that and coming to him. 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Let's not kid ourselves. The worldly passions are delightful and they're pleasurable. We know they're for a season, but we know they're delightful and pleasurable. And every morning I, when I wake up and, and look at the news, there's a part of me that desires to know what are the passions of the world? You know, what's going on these days? What are people finding enjoyment in? I don't have any enjoyment in it. But then why am I trying to find what they're enjoying in? God's grace teaches us to renounce these things. Turn to me, be gracious to me. It's not just that he will be gracious to me. There's an end goal in mind here. There's a purpose for which we should turn. A soul that loves God, who is in awe of God's grace, will be driven to the word of God. You see this in verse 130. I love the the symbolism, the picture here. The unfolding. Your Bible, the, the, your Bible is folded. It will not do its, its work. You have to open it. You have to unfold the word. Unfold the word. Unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Notice the power of the word. You unfold it by God's grace. It does the work. It imparts. It teaches. It instructs. It does a work within you. But you've got to unfold. That's why a Bible laying on the shelf is useless. Just because you say, ah, oh, it's the Bible. We have 15 of them in our home. We love God's word. No, you don't. You've got to unfold it. If you love it, unfold it. And open it. And this is what it does. It gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Look with me at 133. This is what the word of God does. It keeps your steps steady. It lets no iniquity get dominion over you. It redeems you from man's oppression. Verse 134. And verse 136. It gives you open eyes to those who are walking in darkness. And this is just in eight verses of what the word of God does for you. But you've got to unfold it. The unfolding, meaning it's folded. We have a folded word. You've got to unfold it. Gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We are those who are simple. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to earthly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's us. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are simple, and yet, By God's spirit, through his word, he gives us wisdom. So when we wake up in the morning and we choose not to unfold the word, what we're saying is, God, I'm wiser than I really think I am. And I can handle this. Rather than saying, I need this wisdom from God. Because in and of myself, I'm simple. Only the word gives light and imparts understanding. 
We're simple. We need understanding. The word gives us understanding and then it gives us the truth. It's in one package. The word of God has got to be unfolded. A soul that loves God, who is in awe of God's grace, will be driven to the word. And we saw there what the word will do for us. And I want to say there's, there's the unfolding and imparts understanding, keeps our feet steady, no iniquity, getting dominion over us, redeeming from man's oppression. But I want to just focus on this, keeping your steps steady for just a few seconds here and go to Psalm 37. Turn with me to Psalm 37, 23. How does it keep your feet steady, your steps steady? And the the thought, the lie will always be, my steps are steady. But that's like a blind man wandering toward a fire pit. It might feel good, but you're in a precarious place. Psalm 37, 23. If you have, if, if you, I encourage you to write in your Bible. And I would encourage you to connect these two verses. Psalm 37, 23 with Psalm 119. 133, because this is how you keep your steps steady. You keep your steady steps steady by going to the word, but this is what the Lord does in verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he should not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. For the Lord upholds his hand. Now God in his grace to you. If you choose to not hold his hand. As was talked about in Alistair Begg last week. In first light. He gave the. He gave the analogy there of crossing a road with a little child. And they're holding onto your hand. They've got that one finger up. And you're holding onto them. Right? But who's really. Who's really holding here? You or them? Their fingers up and you're grasping them. And they think and they feel as if they're actually holding on to you. And it's the complete opposite. You're holding to them. And that's the way it is with the Lord. He's holding to us. And though, and though at times we do not follow his way. We're not men and women of the word of God. We do not open and unfold that word. We may think we're in our pride. Thinking we're walking with the Lord. But really we just have a finger up. And we may stumble and in his common grace, he may not allow you to fall. And he may allow you to fall according to Hebrews 12, that he might discipline you out of love. But he is holding you. Note that very carefully, very strongly. So respond to that by holding to him. In a strong way, by doing his way, being in his word. He keeps his steps, our steps steady according to his promises. Notice that in verse 133 of Psalm 19, if your steps aren't steady, you will be being, sin will be taking dominion in your life. You'll be building habits that will allow sin to rule and reign in 133. A soul that loves God, verse 129, who is in awe of God's grace, verse 132, will be driven to the word, verse 130, allowing his steps to be steady, verses 133. And let me close with which opens his eyes to those walking in darkness. Verse 136. This is a barometer, a test, a measure 
for how well you're doing with loving God's word in his way. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. If that's not a test for how well you're loving God's law, I'm not sure there's more, a more clear one. When's the last time you shed, cheer, you shed tears over the, someone not keeping God's law? Maybe it's your own self. Maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's an extended family. Maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Maybe it's the general culture of America. When's the last time you shed, cheers, shed tears over those that are not keeping God's law? You see, the, you see why God's grace poured out upon you is going to move you to the law. In fact, you're going to even love the ceremonial law. Not that you're going to keep it, but you're going to love to study it so that you can see how God's grace was manifested in that we're no longer under the law, but we're now under grace in Christ. That we could have tried and worked hard to keep this ceremony law. Couldn't get it. Wouldn't have done it. No work would have saved us, but Christ in his mercy saved us. You see how you're going to love to see God's law. You're going to go to the, to the Ten Commandments and delight to know how can, I, how can I honor God? This is how, by keeping these things. How can I love this? And then you will look out and you will shed tears. And so as I was studying for this and praying yesterday, just under great conviction, of, I, don't, I don't love God's law the way I think I do. I don't love God's word the way I no, I should the way I do. Why? Because I rarely shed tears over those who do not keep God's way. This is, this is something that we cannot dodge, right? This is not something that we can just put on the shelf over here and, and don't do that. Don't say, well, I'm doing, I'm doing 90% over here.